What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode four of Gatekeeper Media's In the Mix with Parked Podcast. My name is Mitch Phillips. Joining me is Zach Harrison. How are you doing, man? We had our first PDGA major of the year. What an incredible week. Gosh, I'm just privileged to be able to be here, but also to be able to watch such fantastic disc golf. Yeah, I mean, it really took it to saying, hey, how was your offseason? I think that's the biggest mm-hmm. thing we're going to talk about more and more is this is the earliest major we've had in I mean, as far as I've been watching disc golf to have a spring major, we kind of are trying to match what's going on in, in ball golf. I feel like you have big majors early on in the year, get some viewership, get some excitement, really check how you're doing. Yeah. And it lets people who, like you said, put a lot of work in the off season, ride the high that they're feeling if they're coming off the off season, feeling hot. Yeah. It really checks you immediately. But where are we this week? We are at W.R. Jackson in Appling, Georgia. Yeah, our home state. Represent Georgia. I'm from Powder Springs, Georgia. Where are you from? Mableton, Georgia. All right, so just south of me, just a little yeah. south southeast. Um, but yeah, it's incredible to be able to say we have a PDGA major in our home state. Like, that is such a special feeling. It's cool to be able to watch it knowing, like, you know, just a few hours away. All these, all these pros, people came from all over the country. All over the world. Yeah, all over the world. That's a fantastic correction there. Um, just to play in, in a small town called Appling. And it, I, I also think it's really great that the Masters just happened in Augusta, which is very close to Yeah, Appling, about 35 minutes away. Right outside. Um, so back-to-back weekends, we've got some top-level golf, one on the ball level and the other on the, <laughs> the Frisbee le- level. The level of ball <laughs> and one on the level of non-ball uh, <laughs> as we call it disc golf uh, but i think it's incredible to be able to have like that level of that i mean we've had the hall of fame classic for so many years this is the first time a lot of these pros have been here period because mm-hmm. there's so many names that have come up on the scene in these last you know two years or so hall of fame classic last one i believe was 2019 so mm-hmm. it's been a little over two years uh, since we've been here i grew up going to watch the hall of fame classic that was the first time i ever watched professional disc golf was seeing it here at the international disc golf center um, talk a little about the idgc so the idgc was built in 2007 uh, Brian Graham was someone who brought this up to the PDGA. And at that point, the PDGA was in someone's house in Toronto, Canada. Yeah. And they were, they were thinking about where to take it. They wanted to bring it back into the United States. And he pitched the idea because he had been working with the greater Augusta sports council. And they were like, Hey Brian, we've got this big 90 acre property. We know you were looking to make some disc golf happen. Do you think you can do anything with it? He goes out there and says, I can not only do something, we will do many things. We And they end up making three courses, two originally, and then three later on down the road. Um, but he made it happen. It was 2007. And since then, they've created that Disc Golf Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. They have added a wonderful museum to show the original Frisbee uh, the whammo frisbee that steady ed it's the history of our sport all in yeah. like one small room it's so so cool yeah, if you've never so, been if you're in the southeast definitely go i've gone there for bachelor parties i've gone there for i mean being able to just hey let's take the day and go play these courses you have three courses on the property i didn't know it was 90 acres that's a lot smaller than it feels yeah. it's very spread out you have the lake there you can camp on site which is the coolest thing it's a it's a tournament i think players look forward to and amateurs i mean even just people listening here to the podcast it's an amazing destination for our sport like to be able to go and stay on property play three courses you have steady ed 
which kind of brings the water in a lot more, uh, which is, I mean, they're all pretty wooded being here on the East coast. Um, but steady ed is one of the shorter ones of it, kind of the middle distance of difficulty, but you get to throw, I mean, some crazy shots, super downhill over the water. And then Warner is uh, very wooded, longer technical. Um, and then obviously where we had our PDGA major is the WR Jackson course, which I've seen change so many times. We had you know, what used to be kind of birdie alley or, you know, bogey alley, these like 13 through 16 is now loaded with par fours and fives. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's seeing that course kind of evolve and now be able to like walk up to it and go, wow, like the work the PDJ has done, the team of the IDGC, what they've been able to accomplish to bring this course to the level that it is incredible. And I don't think it could be at a better time. I think in the past we had was USDGC and which is about an hour and a half or so north of here mm -hmm. and then went straight into the hall of fame classic so you had pros that were tired you had people who were like oh it's just another tournament but now it's a freaking major and it's the the, the feeling of it the excitement of it has just completely shifted and i i'm really excited to see what's going to happen with that in the future do you think i mean we already know that the champions cup's going to move i believe it's might be in ledgestone i don't know that for sure mm -hmm. I, oh no sorry i believe it's on the toboggan course is what i've heard you know, rumors of wow um what do you think about that being that the pga is saying hey we're going to have a major early on do you think it should stay at the same course now that we've been able to see four rounds here you know that's a tough question i like having it in one spot because it's like the masters mm -hmm. you know you go to as the notoriety yeah it's against the national yeah. you know um but i like the idea of testing people early at different places because here obviously it's woods golf mm-hmm but like, let's say toboggan, you've got kind of a mix of some big bombs, but right. lots of elevation, yeah. um, being able to really put yourself into tight gaps, long windows. I don't know. I, th I think it could be cool to be able to mix things up a little bit more. Um, and then each year just decide what do we want to test everybody on? This is what we're going to play. So right. I'm, I'm open. I think the level of play here, this is goes for both FPO and MPO was the highest ever. I don't know the actual stats on me. Don't quote that on me, people in the comments. But every, I believe there was nine, 100 players entered. I think it was 97 or 96, so right around there, were all 1,000 rated plus. So it wasn't like, here's your local guys that, hey, I got into the tournament, 970s, you know, right around there, which is where we both kind of live in that 960s, 970s mm -hmm. range. And it's saying, no, we're not able to play this. This is solely devoted to, say, if you won a tournament last year on the pro tour, you were automatically entered. If you won, you know, a certain level of it, right. you were entered or they opened it up to certain tiers of thousand rated plus players. So you couldn't have a, a more stacked field. So to shoot a hot round at a place like this is absurd. Um, but let's talk a little bit more about the weather. Finally, we have good weather at a pro tour PDGA major event. Yeah, the only thing that I think maybe held people back was a little bit of rain. Right. There there was some some water on the ground. The earlier tee times, for sure. I, I know the FPO field had a harder time with the water. Um, just several towels had to be brought out. But I know a lot of the MPOs, they said, were pretty good. You yeah. know, the, the course holds water well. Um, you know, a lot of pine straw, so your disc is going to get wet, but you can manage that. Yeah, I think it was just kind of a relief. I heard some of the players talking around, like, on the warm-up areas, like, this is the first tournament it really hasn't rained, huh? Like it's the first tournament we haven't had to play through snow or done something. So it really got to be here. And for me, this is disc golf. Like growing yeah. up here in Georgia, obviously you have your big bomber courses, you have this, but it's like, dude, I loved being able to see woods golf. That was technical. That was, this course was the combination of distance and control. Yep. It was, let me throw 400, 500 foot drives, but I have to land in this small area 
And if you don't, you got to scramble. Scrambling. Yeah. You see a lot of guys out here, a lot of people out here this weekend. Yeah having to get back on the fairway in some way shape or form saw some miraculous throws absolutely and uh talking with simon uh, i believe after round one is when i got to interview with him and he said this is a course where i find myself so much in circle two and that's coming from mm-hmm. one of the furthest throwers in the world obviously isn't playing as many events but to hear from simon lazat say this is a course where if my circle two putting isn't on i don't score wow and that honestly says a lot and yeah. that, gosh, that makes it really tough too, because you see some of those greens and they're not always runnable. Mm-mm. You have some pretty, pretty nasty death putts that you kind of have to line up against. So it, it says a lot about the caliber of the course right. that we're playing at. And I think that says a lot about also why we are not playing Steady Ed and the Warner course, because yeah. this one, it's the championship course. Yeah, it's worth playing four times. And before we get into kind of the, the rundown of how it all came out, some different storylines, um, welcome everyone, by the way. We haven't said that welcome to this. <laughs> Thank you for being here early on. This is episode four of In The Mix. So thanks for being here. We're sitting here low production getting it done but we're so excited to be able to chat um zach thank you for jumping in and being a part of this moving forward i'm so excited to hang out with you and just talk disc golf talk to pro tour talk to majors it's going to be a blast it is already a blast i can't wait for the future man heck yeah well let's do a segment here we call run it back with idio sports um if you haven't heard of Idio sports it's the creator of the first ever disc golf shoe created by disc golfers for disc golfers absolutely incredible um, head over to idiosports.com to be able to get yourself a pair um, i believe the kickstarter um, the people who were in on that are going to be receiving their shoes within about a month right around may or so so definitely be uh, checking those update emails with that um, but we're going to run it back to the furthest run it back ever last week the last tournament we ran it back with ricky wysocki winning multiple texas state titles we're going to go even further back how far back are we going to go zach all the way back to the class of 1993, Mitch. Oh. My, my lovely birth year, which is just crazy to think about yeah. uh, how far the sport's coming. Right. But 1993, the inaugural class of the Disc Golf Hall of Fame. Ooh, what a place. Talk about some of these people that are there. Well, I'll read out the names. You give me some information on it. We got Dan Roddick, Jim Palmieri, Tom Monroe, Dave Dunapace, Vanessa Chambers, Tom Smith, or sorry, Ted Smethers, and of course, Steady Ed Hedrick. Um, Steady Ed Hedrick, like Smitty Werbin, Jaegerman Jensen, he was number one. Number one out of all of us. Number 001, born in 1924. The father of disc golf, ladies and gentlemen. The father of, yeah, of our sport and what it was. I mean, his 100th birthday if he were still living, is in two years. I didn't realize that he was that old when he you know, created Disc Golf. He was inaugurated in that original class in 93. Um, talk a little bit about, I mean, obviously Dave Dunapace. Being here, I mean, the creator of Innova. Oh, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> Come sorry. on, Zach. I, I, uh, <laughs> for some reason, the last name is always, like, I, I've heard it before, but <laughs> today we were talking about him, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, Dave, yeah, yeah. Dave. Yeah, good old Mitch Dave. Mitch throws me on the spot. Also, okay. this, this is coming from you who throws a lot of Innova. Yeah, I don't throw a lot I of Innova. I do throw you a lot of know Innova. This. So, yes. So, Dave was there to really start the disc golf, right? It, it was no longer Frisbee golf. Disc golf became a very serious thing at that point where he was making discs that could not do things that a Frisbee was doing. Um, so, I mean, even before we get to that, though, we had Steady Ed who was the first person to patent the Frisbee. 
This was in 1966 as an employee for Whammo, the toy company. Mm-hmm. Which he, I think you don't. Know, you hear the words, the, the words, the like brand Whammo. All you think is frisbee. Yeah, I don't think of any other toys. Obviously, we weren't around in the 60s. Right. But I mean, gosh, the first ever patent of the frisbee. And and it all started from a pie tin. I know that mm-hmm. they have that in the the museum yep. down at the IDGC. But um, so not only patenting the frisbee, but also patenting the disc golf pole hole, mm-hmm. which if we all call it today, the basket. Yep. Right. He designed the dimensions, the idea of having chains, the idea of having it put into the ground. Right. Everything about it was all steady ed. Yeah, and the you know in the same kind of vein of things, uh, Jim Palmieri, which was PDGA number twenty three in that Hall of Fame uh, inductee first ever class, was asked, you know, who was the first person to play disc golf? Which he replied, "I'm sorry, but this turns out to be an impossible answer. There's so many <laughs> historical accounts of people playing with the flying playing golf with the flying disc, some which predate the advent of even flying discs like the plastic flying disc for so many years. So like geographically, there was different things going on, and we've all heard or gone to you know a campsite or thing and you see kind of the object golf but this was the first ever time where you said the creation of the pole hole and like the recreation thing i mean the history of our sport truly lies within these couple people which is crazy yeah and i think it's just really neat to be able to run it back and see where we are what we've done and these names of steady ed of dave dunapace of jim palmary of, of dan roddick i mean these people that have crafted our sport i think we forget that our sport came from I mean, a small, small, small group of people. You talked about the PDGA being started in a house in Toronto. Yeah. It's just so cool. So that's our run it back this week with Edio Sports, running it back to the very, very beginning of Steady Ed Hedrick. He was number one. Uh, happy early birthday in two years for 100. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Centennial. His centennial, indeed. Yeah. Um, let's jump into the MPO recap first. My goodness. Give me some some highlights. Let's walk through the leaderboard a little bit here. Um, if you're listening to this, I would assume you've you've watched it, you've seen this thing play out. I think the biggest thing for me, and we'll walk through it here, is so many names shooting hot rounds, yep. jumping the leaderboard, seen on coverage, people that no one's really ever heard the name of before unless you're someone who's touring in and out. Talk a little bit about some of those people. Yeah, absolutely. So we had Casey White, who... For me, I was introduced to Casey just last season. Mm-hmm. Um, some of his hot rounds, him getting picked up with... Um, with Discmania. Disc- and he came on the scene solely through Simon's vlogs. That's right. That's he literally how he... So tight. Yeah. And he, he, I believe he's the... At the time when Simon had moved to Massachusetts, I think Casey was one of, if not the highest rated players in Massachusetts. And that's how they became wow. friends. Wow. So, and now, I mean, comes he's, in here... And, yeah, shooting 11 down which in the first round was the hot round. Yeah. And, and so cool. He got to, I got to talk to him afterwards um, after that round I was hanging out and he was like, man, I was like, dude, what a round. He was like, honestly, like, I just feel like I couldn't miss. I was super excited. You know, this was one of my best rounds I've ever played in the history of my life. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what, you know, really led you to that, you know, me being the interviewer, like talker that I am. And he said that he was talking with um, kind of his mentor, one of the guys he was chatting with. And he said, he told him, he was like, you know, I would love to be able to, you know, be on the lead card. That's really cool. Or be a top 10 finish. And he was like, you know what? Like, no. And his, he said, the guy I was talking to challenged him even more. And he was like, no, he said, you want And he said, what do you want to do? Like, what's a big goal? And he was like, I want to be leading this tournament after the first round. And he said that on Monday. 
<laughs> and then he went out and did it on Thursday. So such a cool moment for Casey, Man, that's amazing. a newer face on tour, but to be able to do it. So freaking cool. Props to Casey. Um, yeah, other names that that popped out of the woodwork. Some people definitely know him. Some people may not. Austin Hannum, uh, a prodigy disc thrower, was able to come out and really get a lot done out here. He, you saw him in the top five at one mm-hmm. point after round one or after round yeah, two. Yeah, round two is when he shot the minus 12. Round two, he shoots a With a 12. bogey. And it's just amazing to see, like, you know, courses like this are obviously incredibly challenging, but they make you show your strength mm-hmm. and they really highlight your weaknesses. Oh, 100%. So it's cool to see him. Um, Corey Ellis, we saw him come in and win solo fourth. Yeah. He was fighting the entire time. Yep. Um, I never got to see him play so much. So I loved yep. having him on coverage, getting more shots of him, watching how smooth his form is. Oh, and, dude, it's... And how he oh, can shape so, so many different shots. He is one of, I mean... I mean, being here on Gatekeeper Media as you're watching this or listening to us on Spotify, um, something I've started to pay attention to after watching so much European disc golf is how important the standstill is, how much touch you need to have and how much power you can really generate no matter what your run-up is. Corey freaking Ellis is smashing 350-foot shots from a standstill. Like, he was on the final round here at Gatekeeper and being able to walk that round, I was there in person for this tournament all week. I think I'm going to go ahead and say this. I think he's the best standstill thrower on tour right now. I would say wow. if not him or maybe one of the European guys or girls that that's more in their kind of game. Um, but the amount of forehand, but mainly backhand James Conrad's up there as well when it mm-hmm. comes to the standstill power. Mm-hmm. But that was like you said, the smooth he is. If you're wanting to get better in form, he does the exact same motion backwards that he does forwards. There's no, let me pull away. Let me have a turning. It is so freaking smooth. Wow. And obviously, he set the record last year, 93.2% from circle one all year long, which is insane. He (laughs) he didn't have a full tour, but set the record for the highest circle one percentage. And also, this was not a record, but led the entire field in circle two percentage as well. I believe right around 43%. So a putting freaking genius magician I got to see him at a uh, at slow play brewing over in uh, Rock Hill, South Carolina, at a putting league. Just destroy everyone. When the, I mean, so cool. He's been someone I've talked a little bit about for a while. Just saying, this guy has all the skills. Hmm. Give him his first full year on tour, which is this year, and see what he does. And already solo fourth at the first major of the year. Insane. Um, somebody else that had a putting just freaking festival. Gavin Babcock finishing. Tied for fifth. Incredible. But but this this statistic clung with me. I think it was Philo or someone on coverage who said it. 100% C1X for the entire tournament. That 72 four holes. Four rounds. Four rounds of golf and you didn't miss a single putt C1X. I, I'm speechless. Thanks for joining us for this episode. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're, it's insane. I mean, everybody says you drive for show, you putt for dough, and he putted mm-hmm. for right around $3,000, I believe. Sure did. To go tied for fifth. That is insane. What a round. I want to know. I mean, we don't have that in front of us. Maybe Stat Mando can let us know if there's been anyone else who has 100% C1X putted and what their position of finishing was. Because I oh, feel like really it's got to be a cool relation of that. But I, I I was shocked when you you told me that absolutely incredible. Um, let's chat a little bit about the European field coming to this. The Finns, the Estonians, the, the Norwegians, everybody coming over from Europe. Leading up to this, 
and the MPO and the FPO, there was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of players that said in press conferences, I was able to ask them, you know, what course are you looking forward to in Vegas, first turn of the year, um, saying, what are you looking forward to the most? So many of them said, WR Jackson, I'm looking forward to Champions Cup because this feels the most like Finland. Talking, I got to talk to Hina Blumros um, uh, when, after she had finished her round, I believe it was round three or so, and she was like, this course feels like home. Um, but that being said, on the MPO side, we only had one player I mean, Simon Lazat, I don't really count him as, as a European anymore. He's, I mean, he, has, he lives here. He's integrated. Only one player in the top 50, top half the field, that was European. That person being Nicolas Antola. Wow. And that's on the MPO side. FPO side was a little bit different. FPO but, was definitely different. But I, that's shocking because of what they accomplish on mm-hmm. those insanely challenging uh, courses. I mean, in the, finish, the finish courses are woods times 50. And, and they're, like you said, it's the, the standstills. Mm-hmm. It's the ability to throw the shot. It's yeah. not just a good shot. It's right. the shot. They it's, have that. Yeah. It's the landing zone. It's the, the matching the approach, uh, matching the angle of your disc on the approach to not let it skip, to not let it mm-hmm. do things. And I feel like this course is one of the ones, like they said, they were even looking forward to it. Yeah. And I was surprised to see that. I mean, shout out to Nicholas Antola to be able to finish tied for 13th. He shot round three and round four minus 10. The other two rounds, I believe, were right under par or even above par. Wow. So incredible. I was the most excited to see Nicholas, one of the top players in Europe, being able to come here. Your European champion last year. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty awesome to see, but also kind of shocking. Um, I was listening to another podcast earlier this uh last week that was talking about the slow kind of start of some of the Europeans. They were talking about maybe it's their putting, maybe it's whatever, but like the stats, there's not much difference. Like there's really no reason that we shouldn't see some of it. I think it comes down to knowledge of courses. That makes sense. I mean, they haven't, you have people like that have played. We talked about at the beginning of this podcast. What does it look like to have the champions cup in the same place every year? Well, guess what? The USDGC has been the same place for 20 plus years. Yep. You know, D glow is usually at toboggan. You know, Ledgestone is in Peoria. You know, there's these tournaments that we've seen that I think the European players are still learning. There's some of them, it's their first time ever to America. There's adjusting, but I was very surprised by that. Um, But let's run down the leaderboard um, here. If you didn't know, Chris Dickerson coming out of what felt like nowhere because he's just such a quiet player, but taken down the first PDGA major of the year by two strokes over Ricky Wysocki. That was a great battle. I thought Rick had it in the bag, but you you can never count anybody out Mm-mm. in this game until you're down to the last two or three holes. I believe going to the final round, there were, mul- I believe, seven to eight players all within five strokes of the lead. And out here, that's one hole. Yeah, literally. <laughs> you, can, you can give five Especially strokes. when you can eagle holes 14 and 18. Well, I mean, that's, we'll get to that. We'll get to that in a bit. But... <laughs> <laughs> um, but Chris, he played consistently, yeah, and he improved. This is something I did not see many people do. Mm-hmm. He improved each round, except he he tied rounds two and three, were the same score at fifty eight. Yeah, minus ten. But he kept going. He sixty, fifty eight, fifty eight, fifty seven, mm-hmm. and that's something that not everyone else was doing. You see, Ricky went fifty eight, fifty seven, fifty nine, sixty one. Yep. Calvin, 58, 60, 57, and then 61. Yeah, just kind of back and forth. And they just weren't able to finish that fourth round right. under 60, which, again, is already an amazing achievement, but Chris was able to do it 
the last three rounds. And that's what really stood him apart from everybody else. And really down the stretch is what it came down to. Chris birdied holes 14 through 18 in the final round. It was the dagger. He literally said, I don't care what you're going to do. There's no chance you're going to win. Which is even more of a, a, a jab because Ricky puts the daggers. And he <laughs> he does start unintentional. <laughs> um, some big streaks we got to talk about. And then let's, uh, let's talk about Gannon Burr for a second. Tied for fifth. My goodness. Went on a tear the final round. I think so many people Gosh. see Gannon. He's from, I believe, Iowa. Somewhere in the Midwest. That could be wrong on that. Um, but he... Let's confirm this real quick. Yes, Iowa. Urbandale, Iowa. So, I mean, some wooded golf there. There's definitely some yeah. things there. But... I think so many people, after seeing him in Vegas, they right. expect him to be able to just throw these crazy lines. He's Bomb. an insane putter. But to see him craft lines in the woods was something we really haven't seen from the kid. That's what I was excited to see because, again, like you said, we saw him at Vegas. And that's it's a golf course, right? It's, it's designed for ball golf. But then he comes and, like you said, really torches things. And he shot 13 down his fourth round, which would have been course record. Unless, unless you're uh, going let, let, let's pre- uh. let's preface this a little bit. <laughs> Round three, Paul Macbeth is on Chase Card here on Gatekeeper Media. We are hyped for it. He shoots plus one. He shoots plus one, which is just, and I'm I think this is correct. His worst round, highest lowest rated round, I believe since 2013, 2014, right around there. Man. It was it was it was in that level of. This is one of the worst things he's in. Maybe not those exact numbers, but in five plus years, his wow. worst round he has shot. But what did he do in the final round, Mr. Zach? Uh, he created a brand new level of the <laughs> comeback statistic God. where after having the worst round of your life, you literally drop a bomb on the course and say, hey, I own this, by the way. I just now destroyed everything. If you're watching this on YouTube, you're you're seeing me right now. I literally am just like head in my hands completely. And he wasn't on coverage. I believe there's there is video of it because of he had a camera guy with him as he does usually. Mm-hmm. So there is somewhat video of some, you know, whatever. I haven't seen it, but I think you you said it right. He broke the comeback statistic, improving by 17 strokes like over Shooting, one round. I don't think anyone... If we had to put any amount of money, I don't care how much money you had to put down, you would not have bet that the hot round of the tournament was 16 under par. I came into this tournament saying it was going to be minus 12 because I I personally shot two under during the during practice round learning the course with two bogeys that were kind of dumb. And I was like, I was some of those were a little bit out of my reach when it comes to distance. Um, but I was like, minus 12, that'd be pretty safe. Austin Hannum shot minus 12. Um, but to shoot minus 16... And we can't not talk about this, that that round was sub 1100 rated. I believe it was 1090 something rated. Oh, man. That's honestly wild. I pulled up hear. right here. Uh, I will say the some of the, because of the other people, Gannon shooting 13, um, Austin Hannum shooting 12. Okay, 1091. So it's a 1091. That's just wrong. I agree. That being said, because I think it was 17 or 16 down at Memorial was rated better than that. At the memorial, which is a Heiser festival. Yeah, I, I just I don't want to harp on that too much because it's the way that ratings work, you know, on mm-hmm. things. But it's like, okay, well, let's harp on it in a second. The the way ratings work for the most part is who's at the tournament. Yep. What are the conditions? What's the course? I feel like those are the big three. Yeah. 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 The tournament is a major. 
the people at the course is probably the highest rated field in the history of a tournament. Yeah. 97, 98,000 rated players. And the weather was immaculate. So that's obviously a little weaker of that. Yeah, yeah. And it was only a 1091 rated round. I just want to know when people in the past shot 11 down, that was the previous course record? I think it was after round one. This is the first time that this course has been played in this uh, formation. So this was the first. 11 down was the hot round. Mm, then I 12. See. And then 16 by Macbeth. And then a 13 by Gannon. But which while while we're you're processing this i know it's it's painful to hear it's hard to swallow funniest interaction on social media disc golf pro tour posts the 1600 and austin hannum comments he shot the hot round of minus 12 in round three he comments on the disc golf pro tour facebook post of paul mcbeth's and he I, it was something to the lines of man really can't hold on to anything nice for too long around here <laughs> <laughs> it's just like the most like austin if you i mean not knowing him too well super dry humor very really fun just funny guy good dude on the course and for him to just be like man can't really hold on to anything around here <laughs> was hilarious because i mean 13 or 12 down he shot was phenomenal it's amazing and that's that's the thing is every, they're getting overshadowed they're yeah. getting overshadowed but paul came in only missed four holes yep he parred four holes but then he made up for it by eagling 14 and 18. And I get that 18 is eagleable. Multiple 14, people got it. I think, is softer than than 18, in my opinion. Really? Because of the way the hole shapes. You can look at the stats. No can, one can, else got an eagle on 13. On 14. I'm saying Dave Felbert. Felbert. On final Felbert, round, right. I guess. Yeah. I don't know. From walking the course, I guess 18 is an easier one because you can make it. But when it comes to the shape of it, I take that back. 18 is definitely easier, but I think it's harder in the way of that it's the final hole of the course the way in which it sits statistically yes but when you're playing that hole the chances of eagling it if you wanted to say i want to play this hole for eagle every time the shape of that hole the difficulty of getting around the corner throwing a flex forehand i think it was a softer hole but i think 18 played closer to that eagle because so many people got it okay that makes sense that's what i'm trying to say i mean the stats of it of let's see hole 18 in the final round, hole 18 averaged 0.76 under par with 15 players getting eagle. So, I mean, hole 14, there was only two in the final round, but it did still average 0.49. So, the two easiest holes on the course all week long. Mm-hmm. I mean, either way. But, yeah, it was, I think hole 14 could be a par 4. 18, I think, is safe at a par 5. I agree. I think I because agree. of the difficulty of getting off the tee, it's yeah. the final hole. This. Yeah the way that it sits it kind of needs to be a par five in my opinion it would cause people to throw very erratic shots that i think would do more harm than good if yeah, it I was think, a par i think four. going into it mentally you need to know you have five strokes yeah but uh, needless to say paul once again yeah i'm here it i'm here to paul give it for you man it's i did it last time we we <laughs> got to do it again you deserve the credit yeah, another player before we jump into FPO, uh, Joel Freeman, birdieing holes 6 through 13, 6 through 12 in the final round. Huge streak. He fought back a ton on that final day to jump 18 spots to get into 14th. Um, and, I mean, just a lot of names. Emerson Keith shooting 12 down, bogey-free in the last round. I mean, this tournament, I feel like, brought out so many names on the MPO side that you really knew are good players. Mm-hmm. But that it was four rounds, that it was a major, it's early in the year, it really checked you. And I'm excited to see what the rest of the majors hold out for the MPO field. Let's move into the FPO field. But before we do, this is something hilarious, something I was unaware of until we were on the course. 
and people started yelling out very odd phrases on hole five. Usually people throw a shot. We're all disc golfers here. You listen to this podcast. You're a disc golfer. If you're not, what are you doing here? Um, But also we yell out, oh, that needs to hyzer. Oh, that needs to flip. Miss that tree. I don't know if I've ever heard someone say, that's a grill. That could be a grill. Go get that grill. (laughs) What? Like that wasn't something that was said. That's pretty funny. In the 10 plus years of playing disc golf. What am I talking about here, Zach? So Rectech Grills Mm -hmm. was sponsoring hole number five. Yep. And they had... A grill available for both MPO and FPO. The grills physically were sitting next to the hole yeah, too, which it, was really funny to watch players like try to like figure out what they were. Albert it, Tom didn't know what like what kind of smoker it was, <laughs> so Calvin Heinberg was like showing him what the pieces are. It was hilarious. <laughs> That's awesome. So yeah, they, they sponsored the hole and CTPs for MPO and FPO won themselves a really, really nice Rectech smoker. So, yeah, smoker grill. And it, yeah, CTPs is a four hundred and thirty two foot par three. And you say that four hundred and thirty two foot par three. Not that bad. Hole five played is the hardest hole every single round. I, and the people that won it, we'll talk about FPO first. Natalie Ryan took it down. Nice hyzer flip. Obviously, the FPO playing a little bit of a shorter tee pad. Yeah. Took it down, I believe, in the final round. And it was just a phenomenal shot. It was it was finesse. It was beautiful. It really is. The men's from 432 feet, a little bit more touchy to have. You had a, one more gap to hit off the tee. Mm-hmm. Connor O'Reilly. Dude, <laughs> this is just hilarious because you have four rounds. It's pretty rare to see CTPs or see like kind of that kind of fun stuff in a pro tour event. I mean, nonetheless, a major. Yeah. Connor O'Reilly takes down himself a Rectech grill on the first. <laughs> this is so stupid that this happened this way. Um, he was the first card to play hole five all tournament. Round one, first card to play it. He CTPs it and it stood. <laughs> For four rounds, 400 people played this hole. That's hilarious because you know that every time you walk past it, you look down at that name and you're like, who's still got it? You're like, it's, it's still, still Connor, Connor O'Reilly. Yeah. Like everyone, you had to be like, all right, someone, I bet at that point, everyone was someone like, else. hey, are you going to take it from him? Because yeah. I can't get and there it. There were some close ones, even on Gatekeeper Media coverage. There were some close ones, some, you know, people getting close to it, but. Yeah, I think that's just the funniest thing taken that's home. Awesome. Uh, another funny thing that happened was the Bushnell, the golden Bushnell. Bushnell was presenting this longest throw in, got a golden Bushnell, which was super cool. I know Natalie Ryan got that. Was it for Eagle on it hole was 15? An Eagle on hole yeah. 15. She was throwing two yeah. from the fairway. Yeah, but with on hole 15, you can't see the basket. It was a blind shot. Blind the shot, hill. and it had to be 200, 250 plus. Yeah. And she rips it, hears the chains, gets real excited, and then starts asking people, did it hit? Did it hit? She had no idea. Yeah, she didn't know. She had no idea. So it was awesome to see her literally go run it down the yeah. whole way. Just like full confusion of like, that. oh, oh it did. Yeah. Like, so yeah. cool. Man, that's awesome. Yeah, it was so cool. Um, and unfortunately, I am actually unsure who took down on the men's side um, for the throw-in. I do not know. So I wasn't able, we weren't able to find it. Um, if you know, let us know in the comments. I apologize if you listen on Spotify. There's not commenting yet. Or Apple Podcasts, thanks for listening. But we don't have any commenting for you. Head over to YouTube, get Cure Media. Hit that subscribe button. Um, but let's get into FPO. Wow. What I think the word I want to use for FPO is battle. Multiple lead changes. Multiple just insane things happening back and forth and back and forth. An absolute battle between what two players. The top two players that we've discussed. Yeah. Paige Pierce and Kristen Tatar. 
I, I, it, so watching this go down, um, Kristen definitely had more consistency throughout the tournament, right? She was playing great golf. She wasn't super happy with her first round. Um, I'd probably say she wasn't super happy with her third round either, but her second round improved dramatically. Paige was kind of all over the place. Yeah. She had a lot of bogeys. She missed a lot of her putts. Um, a lot of chain outs, a lot of yeah. off the basket, you know, just a couple of unlucky shots. Um, in round one, she started, started the with tournament. a triple bogey. Yes. A seven on the first hole of the tournament. And of course, you know, having that mentality of I'm here, I'm winning, I'm fighting until the very end. She obviously did not let that stop her, mm-hmm. but she was pulling from the back of the pack from the very beginning. Yep. So I was out there watching Kristen on lead card each time and she was playing great golf. She was hitting many of her putts. Her lines were looking good. She was scrambling well. She had eagled hole 18 in round one. And I think again in round three, I'm like, she's got this. She is torching this course. I'm pumped to watch her wrap this thing up. Yep. And then all of a sudden, here comes Paige yep. crawling Quietly. back. And round three was a little bit off. She did shoot even round three. was just a little bit off. Had a couple of bogeys in there. But again, still able to carry the momentum and eagle 18. So going to the final round, um, I believe they weren't too far apart. If not, they were within one or two uh, going into the final round. And the final round was just match play, it felt like. It did end up feeling like match play. They had a solid lead above third and fourth place so it was mostly just Paige and Kristen mm-hmm. kind of battling it out um Paige started off with a birdie nice and calm Kristen gets a few pars in a row gets a birdie on hole four uh they both actually took bogey on hole five yeah which that you could kind of feel that pressure of wow we're really going at this and battling here absolutely and and every single stroke that you feel like that other player lost you feel like I have to take advantage now because it was the only time. It mm-hmm. was the time that really mattered. Yeah. Um, so the the sad part of Kristen's not, of Kristen's last round was the back nine. She did not get a single birdie on the back nine. Yep. It was par for six holes in a row. Yep. Seven holes. Yeah. In a seven row. holes here. Yeah. Seven holes in a row. Then and and at that point, Paige had one bogey, two birdies, ended up getting a double on yep. hole six. Brought it back so 15. close. And gets a, a birdie on hole 16. They both end up bogeying hole 17. So Kristen has a one-stroke lead. Headed into the 72nd hole of the tournament. The very last hole. After all of that, after the grinding, Gosh. after some really emotional situations, mm-hmm. and it's the last hole, and all she has to do is hit a putt for birdie from, I think, roughly 35 feet. Yep. It was a downhill putt, but she was not going to lay it up. She had one putt to hit, and she missed it and actually didn't even hit metal. So it goes another 35 feet yep. downhill. Ugh. Now she has to make it to push the playoff. Yeah, for the tie. Like that amount of pressure. The pressure to say, I mean, if even if she would have run it, if she would have just laid up, 35 footer, but she was feeling she has her putting was great all was weekend all, long. I feel like it was a battle. We talked about it in the yes, MPO side. Simon yes. Lazat saying this is a course of circle two. It's the same here. Yep. Circle two putting and scrambling is what made you score. Yep. So 35 feet, I feel confident in it. Why not run it? And then she misses the comebacker. 
she misses the comeback her and she ends up four putting she four putt and took a, a triple bogey and that that definitely beat her up um she is incranely incranely insanely uh poised poised yeah for being yeah. able to take that and come back and shake Paige's hand and say congratulations yeah. and in, in tears i mean she in, was the emotion she was yeah. that's that's a lot of emotion to to have to swallow just to uh, yeah. wrap things up she was really looking forward to taking that win but congratulations to Paige. she absolutely fought her heart out um she deserves it it is now her 16th major title yep which is tying her with valerie jenkins for the most major wins in fpo history which is absolutely ins- i have chills like saying that like yeah. legitimately so incredible to see um I mean, it, it's hard to put that into words, the emotion. Um, definitely go over to Ulti World and read the article about it. kind of breaks it down. There's some good pictures there too. And definitely go watch the video of, I believe it's on GK Pro, of being able to see the level of emotion. And we've talked about it on over on Parked Podcast um, in last year saying like the level of FPO has never been higher. The the ratings, ratings wise, any player I feel like can win it. Yep. But this week, and we saw Katrina take some down this year, we've seen other names be able to come up in the hunt. Chris Tatar has now been in the top three every single tournament of the year. Gosh, and, and she hasn't. So been, I asked consistent. her that in the press conference mm. um, on before this thing got over. I asked her. I said, "You know, you've been in the top three for the the, the every tournament so far on the Pro Tour. What's it going to take this week?" And her response to me was, "I think it's really going to take consistency on the putting green." Is what mm. she said to me. It was something along those lines, and it and it's hard to hear that in hindsight. Now looking at what's happened now, that that's what ended up taking her out of it. There were other situations. Um, if you, we're not going to get into it too much here. It was some ruling that kind of happened with her daughter being on the course, um, and that she was not of a certain age. Her daughter, I believe, is eight or ten, nine years old, not able to be walking with her, so she had to find someone to actually, like say hey here's my daughter please chaperone her for the rest yeah. of my tournament so it was a tough situation that's all we're going to say about it um, i don't want to get into it too much other than to say i think that's wrong i'm just going to say that here at the platform we have i don't think that's right to pull your daughter away from you when she was silent and doing the right thing that's all i'm going to say about it yeah. um but definitely some emotional things happen with that but let's talk a little more about Paige. she's now won five of the last seven majors i she, mean she has she has that edge. Mm-hmm. You know, we always compare Paige and Paul. Right. Because Both they're five times. They're five time champions. They they are consistent and they and, do immaculate things. Right. They both this is something I, I totally forgot about. Flipping what had happened, Paige and Paul comparing them. What did they both do at the world championships? They lost in the last hole. Yeah, they sure did. And you look at what happened to Paige here, it flips it. And she was the one that made the mistake on the eighteenth hole, and she's able to take down the first major of the year. So I mean it's absolutely insane. I mean, mm-hmm. to see that she really is, she's the, we've known it. She's the best FBO player of all time. There was a little bit of a lull there, but then you look at the stats and it's like, oh, she won five out of seven of the last major. She won like nine tournaments last year. She's always in the hunt. Um, but yeah, incredible finish there. Let's talk a little more down the line here. A player I want to shout out. You always hear Valerie Mandahano. I mean, winning Texas States. Her sister that tours with her, um, Discraft sponsored Alexis Mandahano, actually was beating her sister Alexis or uh, Valerie for quite some time, which was so cool to see that kind of rivalry. We have that with Isaac and Ezra Robinson in the yeah. MPO field, but now to see, and they actually tied, I believe they tied the brothers. Yeah. Oh, which man. is hilarious in the, in, F, in MPO, but in FPO two strokes separating them. So awesome to be able to see that kind of that sibling rivalry 
and Alexis Mandahano making the charge. Um, we talked about it on the MPO side. Let's chat about it here briefly as we kind of wrap up. Um, some of the finished players, Evelina really struggled this week. Um, her putting, there was a video of her literally 15 footer. I'm sure you saw this airballing yeah. from 15. Yeah. Not with like, oh, I missed low. Let me now throw it 30 feet past. Just some difficulty going on. There's been some videos I've seen, some YouTube kind of stuff of like what's going on with her putt, some maybe some physical things that are going on. I don't know. I was surprised. I came into this tournament saying Evelyn is going to take it down. Mm. But um, some other names here. Owen Scoggins. Gosh, I said it last time I was here. <laughs> I love Owen Scoggins. So fun. She's so much fun to watch because you see her throw the most overstable discs. <laughs> But she uses them with incredible accuracy. Yep. She's very skilled at shaping her own shots. Mm-hmm. She's another another player that I think uses standstill a lot of the time to make yep. sure that she's accurate. And she's out there being super consistent. And just hilarious, too. There's yeah, a video so of her uh, on coverage giving a back massage, like with her elbow <laughs> to uh, Chloe Alice. And it was oh, the man. fun. And she's like digging into like massaging her, like just being a character and having her on a card is so fun. So, so incredible. And Sarah Hokum, another consistent finish for yes. her here on this property. She has done incredible in the past. Um, she's, I mean, she's definitely on the way up. She's talked about in the press conference. She's been working on her backhand. Um, taking it way back 11 years ago hokum finished third at the pdj championship which was also had rounds at wr jackson so she's she won last time we were here she won the 2019 hall of fame classic um which was the national tour finale also on this course and she had the lowest bogey percentage in the field wow sarah hokum scramble god um last name we'll chat about here katrina allen kind of a surprising tournament she's had a hot start Mm -hmm. we've seen this in the past you get a new sponsorship you really start moving forward um and you get maybe a hot start but then there's this kind of little bit of a lull and then you win a world championship for james conrad but i still think katrina ended up finishing i believe she shot seven under on the final day yep let me confirm that yeah seven under on the final day free yeah i mean being able to shoot 68 71 72 and then improve by 11 strokes in her final round yeah I mean, comebacks, man. Yeah, she's she still has it everything going on in the bag. Um, some names also real quick. Haley King shot an amazing first round and second round, um, but then just kind of fell off. Um, so just that four round, that first major of the year, it was a mental battle. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, well, that about wraps it up here for us for the first PDGA major of the year. Um, it was incredible. I love this course. Gosh. Being here in our home state was just, yeah. it was so cool um, to have that and be able to hold on to that um, and to see a course that I grew up going to play and see it evolve and see that we have this caliber of players that are here in the home state is incredible. Yeah, man, you said it all. You said it all. It's definitely a joy to be able to watch disc golf travel the way it has been. Yeah. Um, never before has there been this much of a pack of players mm-hmm. of this caliber, yeah. but also we continue to see the spectators grow and i think more and more we're going to start seeing courses that hold spectators well right and with that designing that in mind exactly exactly and i'm pumped man like they're already doing it right they've got tape marking people off they've got the quiet signs like people are respectful here in georgia we actually had the hush y'all signs instead of the hush y'all yeah there was it was hush (laughs) y'all man that's too funny pretty soon man pretty soon there's going to be a disc golf tournament that plays it like the masters where all cell phones are put away they were asking people that oh they were like because this the i mean the 
cell phone service was terrible. I was trying yeah. to upload things the whole yeah. time. I had a, a interview on the Wi-Fi there. Uh, the inter- upload in green and purple and distort. <laughs> it was a nightmare. But, but no, I think yeah. that's where it's headed. It's like, let's pay attention to the game. Let's give the players our all. Let's give them our respect. Let's watch them play the sport. Um, so I'm pumped to see how things continue, though. We'll mm-hmm. be heading over to the next stop on the, yeah stop on the disc golf pro tour which is this weekend april 16th through 18th um sorry that was that was, that was not that was last not year yeah, it's the 22nd say. to the 24th i believe yeah. um which is incredible i mean to be able to see us here back i believe this is the sixth or seventh time we've been able to see uh, here in jonesboro we're gonna have the disc side of heaven course this yeah. tournament's presented by prodigy and it's also played against sports which is pretty cool to see played against sports get involved in jonesboro um every time um this course elevation changes up to 60 feet huge oak trees everywhere yeah. wind um, yeah wind there's gonna We're be back. so much wind <laughs> it's gonna be crazy you're gonna see some putts go all over the place yep yeah i'm excited to watch i i want i want to see another kj performance out here at jonesboro yeah he he does really well at this course but i think we'll, we'll probably stick to the the top five names on the mpo field and honestly probably the same in the fbo field um we might get i'd like to see Evelina make a comeback out here. Yeah. I think this is a course she could probably attack. Um, but that's my quick prediction. Yep. Um, I think it's going to be, we've seen some some pop-offs here from people you kind of didn't expect. Uh, Alden Harris played incredibly well here. Sure or, did. Uh, speaking of here in Georgia, played really well here in the past years. Um, FPO side, I'm going to say, uh, let's see. I'm going to say Haley King takes it down i think she she has the she has everything going she's getting used to innova she's able to kind of heal from some injuries she had in the past um she plays well on really any course and i think she's going to have some consistency here i'm going to go and say Haley king's going to take down the fpo Um, big thing also here at jonesboro is everything they're doing with saint jude which is amazing Um, money is being raised at this tournament and then also being added cash for the pro payout so it's it's amazing to be able to see what our turn tournaments are becoming that we're we're donating to saint jude's children's research hospital we're partnering with where we all buy discs that played against sports like there's bigger names coming into it and jonesboro i'm excited it is beautiful rightfully named as discs out of heaven it's gonna be awesome next pro tour event of the year so man that about wraps it up here for episode four of gatekeeper media's in the mix with parked podcast be sure to follow us on instagram at parked podcast also at gatekeeper media thank you all for joining us thanks for hanging with us in the early stages zach thank you for being a part of this it's gonna be me and you we're gonna we're gonna do this thing we're moving forward dude i'm ready to rock let's (laughs) let's talk some disc golf i watch the coverage and i'm i'm just pumped to be able to talk with the world and and hear what you guys have to say with you you with the listener we're we're really excited to be able to kind of get some feedback from everybody so um pass it along fill up the comments and yeah and let us know your thoughts definitely if you have anything you want us to talk about anything you know things hit us up on social media at park podcast definitely let us know we'd love to be able to continue the conversation over there also on gatekeeper media um yeah thank you guys for being here my name is mitch phillips i'm zach harrison and we'll see you in jonesboro peace